AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm George Guntas. You love The Daily Show for its incisive political commentary, but did you know that our offices are filled with super soccer fans? I'm the lighting designer here at The Daily Show, and the only thing that I love more than our studio lights are the lights of a soccer stadium. I'm joined by Daily Show writer and superfan Joe Opio. The World Cup is underway, and we thought we'd drop a bonus podcast episode breaking down the round of 16 and giving you our predictions for the quarterfinals. We'll begin with a disappointing performance of the United States versus the Netherlands. The Dutch make easy work of the Americans with a 3-1 victory. What are your takeaways from the game, Joe? Uh, First of all, George, uh, it's a pleasure, as always, uh, to join you and break down the games of the World Cup as it goes on. Um... My takeaway from the U.S. game, first of all, I thought the U.S. was killed mainly by primary schoolboy errors in defense. Uh, they were killed by cutbacks from the Dutch. Uh, normally, you would think that a team at that level would know that when a ball goes on the side, there are two chances. Either you know the attacker is going to smash it right across goal or they're going to cut it back. And the U.S. took the first option. They always went to defend the ball right across the face of goal, but then they forgot the trading runners and they ended up paying twice for their mistakes. Uh, the second goal, uh, the first goal, I mean, it was Tyler Adams who failed to track uh, Memphis Depay. Because Memphis Depay started the move, but then ran right past Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams has, has been America's best player by far. Uh, but I think in that moment, he was caught napping. I think one of the central defenders should have stepped out maybe to help him and make Memphis Depay a bit more uncomfortable. Uh, but that was goal number one. Goal number two, again, another ball to Denzel Dumfries. Again, another cutback. And this time, it was another of U.S.'s more talented players. Uh, Sergio mm. Dest, who was caught napping uh, mm. by Del Blind. The, the last goal, I think... Uh, I think the U.S. was already beaten by that point. They had scored a very fortuitous um, first goal, but I think by that time the U.S. had given up the game. And I thought, again, it was more schoolboy errors in defense because when the cross came in from Del Blind, uh, the Americans all came into the middle. And I think Jedi Robinson is to blame. He came and squished into the middle. He never checked uh, his mirrors, his side mirrors, to see who was standing behind him. Again, Denzel Dumfries in acres of space. Any professional player will put that chance away. So for me, that was very disappointing because the U.S. conceded goals from schoolboy errors. Uh, my other takeaway was how reactive Greg Bellhalter was. Because I thought, and I had talked, we talked about this in our last uh, last podcast, Gio Reyna should have started the game. 
especially because America lacks a striker, so they could have played Gio maybe as a false nine, or they could have sorted team wear into the number nine position and then let Gio Reyna play as a number 10, but they didn't bring him on till they were already two nil down. For me, that's very, very reactive from the manager. I feel like the coach should always take initiative. You try to take the initiative, try to force your opponent into playing, not, not instead of you reacting to the way they play. And I think Louis Van Gaal actually talked about it uh, in his post-match press conference. He said the U.S. failed to adapt. Um, and when Greg Bellato tried to adapt, it was way too late. So for me, again, I'm going to go back to what I hoped on about, what I hopped on about in the last podcast, I think Greg must go. I think he shouldn't be trusted with this golden generation of American players. I think the U.S. is going to be looking at making a deeper run uh, in the 2026 World Cup. I think the U.S. has the tools and the resources to make a deeper run, but they need a far more brilliant manager. They need a far more proactive manager and i think greg is way too reactive and way too conservative for his own good i have to agree with you on that i mean starting with van hal comparatively to burhalter van hal a guy coached ajax barcelona uh bayern tons munich, of experience bayern munich manchester united the biggest clubs in the world he has basically he, he has forgotten more soccer yeah for sure for Beralta knows. Yeah, for sure. So now you sit there and it was a simple game plan from Van Hal. He knew that the U.S. would struggle to break them down. They allowed the U.S. to have possession. U.S. had 59% of the ball to the Netherlands, 41. They just sat patiently and waited for their moments. Uh, that was the first note uh, that I agree with you on is that Van Hal definitely outcoached Burhalter. Again, uh, completely agree about the being reactive. I mean, we, we waited till almost stoppage time and down 3-1 to pull a defender and play three at the back and just throw caution to the wind. In general, I feel like I wanted a more a more desperate performance once you went down from the Americans. And it just seemed like there was a, a little minute, a couple minutes spell where when they kind of scored the fortunate goal, there, were, there was another moment where someone rounded the keeper and probably should have done better. Uh, but yeah, for, for sure, that, that lack of desperation. And and then- It was, I, I think yeah. it was had you right again. It was yeah. a loose ball, yeah. loose ball from Memphis Depay. That's and right. he rounded the keeper and he tried his best. But I, again, his yeah. first touch took him too far away. Out, too far and basically, you know, lost him the angle. But you're right. Yes. Yeah. And so, again, to go in, and then another thing just to kind of continue what you said is that um, the defensive mistakes, obviously, you know, optional defending. But I think when it, when you make one mistake, that can happen. When you make three mistakes, those kind of mistakes, I think that is a reflection of the manager. I think that um, I think that's also an inability to communicate. I think that a center back, if you're like playing on a team with, let's say, a Sergio Ramos or a or just a, or a, a more a, experienced defender, a more experienced center back, yes. mm. they're going to be yelling and directing and talking. I feel like it was like nobody nobody was talking. And in the end, it's it's easy to blame the person who had that responsibility. But I think defending as a collective. Uh, it's a more that, collaborative effort, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then the final thing that I'll say, again, agree that the two main storylines from a U.S. perspective, obviously the, the defensive lapses. And the second is that the USA were wasteful in front of goal. And when you're an underdog in this regard, playing a better team. You have to take your chances. You have to Every take your chances. Chance, yes. Every chance. We all know this. The USA actually outshot the Dutch 17 to 11. 17 to 11 with more shots on target, eight to six. The Dutch were clearly more clinical and deserved to win the game. But when you're playing, like we said, better side, you need to take convert the opportunities. Had Pulisic 
converted that early chance, mm. it changes the game It would have the changed the complexion of the game, yeah. yes. But also, yeah. and I think this, <laughs> it's crazy to talk about the US are not shooting well, right. not shooting effectively, yeah. given yeah. the gun violence problem in the country. But yeah, <laughs> I think the US is desperate for a striker right. who can put the chances away. And I, f I feel like they are lucky because they have such a striker, actually. Uh, Ricardo Pepe wasn't called up. Uh, for the national team but we can't go into the selections now but mm, i feel course. like ricardo pepe plays in the dutch league he mm. makes he has made a habit out of scoring against Dutch opposition he should have been in the team i think enough acres of ink have been wasted writing about greg barata's decision not to call him but he's mm. young and i think he's yeah. going to be a great addition uh, to this particular roster going into 2026. let's move on to argentina versus australia argentina beat australia to two to one to set up an interesting quarterfinal matchup with the Netherlands. Many expected this to be a walk in the park for Argentina, but it was anything but. A well-organized Australian side made Argentina work for the win. I think the thing I took away from this is, again, Messi uh, delivered, and I think Argentina are going to need him to deliver each and every game if they are going to have a chance. He has been delivering big, big, huge, huge decisive goals in every game. He delivered, he scored against Saudi Arabia. Of course, they lost that game. It was a penalty, put it away. Then he scored the game that broke the Mexican resistance and I feel like in this game as well he scored the goal that broke the Australian resistance uh of course this time he didn't have Di Maria Di Maria I think had muscle overload they only need Di Maria clearly when if you watch this game you could see why Di Maria is so essential to this team but Messi again delivering that was critical I feel like this game turned out to be a lot more tense and a lot more nervous than it should have been uh we all expected Australia is a bit like the US in that um, the best Australians or the most athletic Australians don't normally go into football. They either go into Australian football or they go into rugby or they go into cricket. So football in Australia st struggles in much the same way that football struggles in the US. It doesn't attract the best of the best. But I think the Australians acquitted themselves well. I think they put up a good resistance. When Messi scored, I thought that would really be the straw that broke them but they kept coming back and then they scored of course they considered second goal uh which was a gift from their goalkeeper he was pressured tried to split the two argentinians and you don't do that at that level you're going to be punished if you make such a mistake uh but they kept you know fighting back they kept coming back and then they scored of course off a deflection and i feel like argentina had it in them to stretch the game away lautaro martinez i don't know what's happening but he's off form his confidence is totally short he has lost his starting position to julian alvarez and you can see that that's affecting him he had three great chances in this game the first one he should have put away it was a simple color into uh, the side netting but then he ended up skying it and sending it into the stands the second chance, it wasn't him who should have taken it. He should have just backheeled the ball. They played a great ball into him. And then Montiel was running behind him. He should have just backheeled the ball into Montiel. It would have been one-on-one -on -one with an empty net. He didn't do that because, again, the desperation. And when your confidence is short, you're always snatching at chances. He snatched at that. Third chance, Messi played him in. Again, he just shot straight at the goalkeeper. A player of Lautaro's experience and pedigree and we've seen him light up the champions league time and again you should have expected him to at least put one of those chances away and mm -hmm. put the game beyond uh, australia but he didn't and as you could see at the end they almost paid for it 
Absolutely. There was a messy run yeah. by Ab- Aziz Behic, which he should yeah. have put away. But again, of course. great defending from Alessandro Martinez. I think Argentina should be playing a back three because you need the three central defenders covering for each other. If La- if Lissandro wasn't in, that was a definite goal. And then, of course, Australia had a chance at the very end of the day. <laughs> Tagliafuco falls down, yeah. Yeah, a great save by Emiliano Martinez. But this game, again, Argentina made such heavy work. Yeah. When it should have been a walk But the only, only, only two positives I feel that Agenda should take away from this game, actually three, is one, Di Maria wasn't in and they still managed to win. Two, Messi is still delivering. And then three, and most importantly, this was the first game, this entire World Cup, when I felt that Rodrigo De Paul was mm. almost back to his very best. Sure. This is the Rodrigo de Paul that we all know and love. This mm. is the Rodrigo de Paul that earned himself a transfer from Udinese to Atletico Madrid. This is the Rodrigo de Paul that helped Argentina win the Copa America. And I feel mm. like you could see that in the way he pressed the Australian goalkeeper to create that chance for Julian Alvarez. For sure, for sure. Before I get into my thoughts about Argentina, I just want to take my hats off to Australia. They were fantastic. This was the type of performance you were hoping from for from the Americans as yes. underdogs you were hoping for some intensity defiant yes intensity yeah. physicality belief and again i think that like you said comes down to the manager so now back to argentina like you said what a performance from your boy leo messi um i feel like in stoppage time like you said argentina could have scored probably four goals in stoppage time before uh, that final chance for australia and again to, to kind of jump on your criticism of lautaro martinez um is Lautaro Martinez Gonzalo Higuain all of a sudden? Jesus. I mean, he's he going to lose the tournament for Argentina if they get into a spot where they need him to put one away. You're right. His confidence is uh, in the gutter. Totally gone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, to your point about uh, Di Maria, I agree. And I think the coach agrees because soon after halftime, they made an interesting substitution when they pulled Papu Gomez, an attacking midfielder, to bring on Lissandro and play three at the back. And that's kind of really when uh, – Argentina became more fluid. And I think, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, uh, I think that going forward, that that's something that they will turn to. I feel frankly that um, when you look at this Argentina team, yeah, they are facing the same uh, issue. They, or at least they, they, they should use the same formula they use at the Copa America. And that's, mm. you can't afford to concede. So if right. they can keep it nil-nil, they can mm. always count on a moment of magic from Messi, but they also can't afford to concede because I don't think they have the character to come back. I don't think they have the force of will to come back. So the, the best hope for me is to always keep it tight at the back. The only good thing I could say in their favor is they have conceded three goals and all three goals have been absolute stunners yeah. in a way that they were unavoidable. unavoidable. So the two goals that Saudi Arabia put away, there's nothing Emiliano Martinez could have done about that. For sure. They were both like beautiful, brilliant goals. And then against Australia, it was a stunner in a sense that it deflected and went. Yeah, it was not even oh, close to being yeah, on target. Before yeah, that not close, down. but the way it deflected and went into the side netting, there's nothing yeah, he could do about do. it. So right. they haven't yet considered a goal that you would go like, oh, that was a mistake. Oh, oh, the other team outplayed them in that way. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's good if you're playing in a tournament because tournament football is all about keeping it tight at the back and then mm-hmm. picking your moments when you go forward. 
Agreed, agreed. And then one more thing for our American fans that are new to watching the World Cup at this moment. One thing that happened in this game that is a technical term that we like to call squeaky bum time when you have you're up you're up two one late and your and team is giving a chance seat, yes. and you're on the edge of your seat. This game for the fi- for uh, for stoppage time we were complete squeaky bum time for the Australian fans, but they got through it. Argentina meets the Netherlands in the quarterfinal. Who you have gone through? Ah, uh, that's going to be a tight one. But I think Argentina will have too much for the Dutch eventually. I think the Dutch have uh, benefited a lot from um, America's naivety. I don't think Argentina will be as naive in attack. I don't think Argentina will be as generous in defense as the Americans were. And I think the Dutch also struggle. They scored three goals against uh, America, but that's as we saw, as we've said before, that was because America was too charitable in defense. I don't think they'll get as many chances against Argentina, and I don't think they have the kind of defensive midfielder or the kind of defensive discipline that can keep Leo Messi under the coach for 90 minutes. So I think Argentina will have too much for them at the end of the day, I think uh, Argentina is slowly growing into the tournament. I think Messi and Julian Alvarez, that like you can't see their chemistry, is beginning to build. Di Maria will probably be back for this game. Hmm. And um, I feel like the Dutch, the, 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 their experience was war horses. Let's say that. Like their coach, from the hmm. coach all through their defense, Van Dyke, the midfield. These are players who play the biggest games week in, week out hmm. in Europe. But I think. I think Messi's brilliance will be a bit too much for them. And also, like, you have to remember that on the left side of the Dutch, that's where Dale Blind uh, plays. And I think he's too slow. Agreed. I actually think Dale Blind against Messi and Di Maria is a war crime waiting to happen. Yeah, so unless he gets some kind of support from his wingers, I think he's going to be exposed. And if I were, Lionel, if I were Lionel Scaroni, I would specifically target Dale Blind because I think he's the key weakness in that Dutch defense. Agreed. I, I have uh, um, Argentina going through as well. I just, I what I hope is that as these, as you get further into the tournament, that um, they don't tend to go conservative and in fear of not making a mistake. And I hope that they really go for it because I think that they will outclass the Netherlands. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more 
and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. So let's move on to France versus Poland. France beat Poland 3-1 to one in a pretty straightforward match. A second-half brace from Kylian Mbappe leads the French into the quarterfinals. I feel like the Polish will not be proud of themselves. They didn't uh, really turn up for that game. Um, they have one of the best strikers in the world at the moment, mm-hmm. Robert Lewandowski. I don't think they fed him enough. I think he was starved of service. Um, mm-hmm. the, France, on the other hand, what can we say about France that we haven't said already? Them and Brazil are the favorites to win uh, this particular World Cup. I think the final, most likely, barring any upsets, will be a repeat of 1998. It will be France versus Brazil. Kylian Mbappé. Yeah. Oh, man. We are, we, are, we are running out of compliments in this particular yeah. World Cup. He's already scored so many goals and he's just 24. Yeah. And I think the goals he scored against Poland were particularly brilliant in their quality. The first yeah. one, he gave the keeper the eyes. The keeper thought yeah. he was going to go you know, to the far post, far post to boom. the near. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second one, He's playing, he's, he, he's like brimming with confidence and you need a player like that. But I feel like the Poles made a mistake because if you're playing a team that has Mbappe uh, on its wings, I think the only thing you have to do is concentrate on him because the first goal was scored uh, by Olivier Giroud. But I think France doesn't offer as much going through the middle. I think the only creative outlet is to go through Mbappe. So if you crowd the wings and force them to go through the middle. It's almost like the only way to nullify France is to do the opposite of what coaches used to do when it came to Barcelona. So when Barcelona was so good, when Xavi and Iniesta used to play and Mason, they would all go through the middle. What would coaches do? They would flood the middle and force right. Barcelona to play through the wings because right. then Barcelona was forced to swing in crosses and Barcelona was absolutely impotent when it came to balls in the air. So I feel with France, because France is so devastating on the wings with Dembele on one wing and Kylian Mbappe on the other. I think coaches should be doing the opposite. They should be flooding bodies in the channels and force France to go through the middle. I don't think France has enough creativity in the middle to actually damage any defense because they play Chouameni and they also play uh, Adrian Rabiot. Rabiot lacks the... The, the, the creative nows to unlock a defense and so does Chouameni. They can pass the ball but they're always going to go through the wings. So flood the wings, force them through the middle and I think you'll be able to nullify France's threat. Yeah, for sure. I think that the way that France could get around that that they've done historically is to I think Giroud needs to drop centrally deeper, hold up the ball and then play off to the wings. They've, they've had a lot of success in that regard. Um, but as I mentioned, Giroud, it doesn't seem like France is missing uh, Kareem Benzema. No, they are not. And I, th- I feel like one player we're not talking about, um, and that's that's the beauty of France. They've got such such uh, strength in depth that they could easily switch out a player for another and you don't almost see a drop in quality, which is something that most other teams can't say. And so another player I haven't been talking about is Antoine Griezmann. He hasn't been scoring goals, so he hasn't been getting any headlines but i feel like his work rate and the Mm. way he helps link up the midfield with the attack has been absolutely important to france i think he was the reason they scored the second goal that actually helped them get Mm. some kind of breathing room between themselves and the poles and i think he was back defending because the Mm. counter-attack actually started from a ball that he cleared Giroud brought it down played in mbappe 
mm-hmm. 2-0, game over. And I think yeah. because he hasn't been getting the goals, he hasn't been getting onto the score sheet, it's very, very easy and very tempting to overlook the amount of work and the amount of a link-up play. He's basically the glue in that French squad. And I think if if you can if you can just flood the wings, then the only other option France has is to go through Antoine Griezmann. But then he's doing so much work off the ball that I doubt he will be as effective in the final third. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then one last thing about this game before we move on is a pet peeve of mine that's been a trend lately, both in club and and, and uh, international football, is this stutter step, Jorginho style penalty. Please stop, everybody. Goalkeepers, stand on your line and do not move while they stutter step and generate a penalty with zero power. Stand and wait. It is so frustrating to watch these penalties. I I feel like a friend of... I feel like uh, it's a trend, as you said, and it was started by Jorginho, but I feel like what's happening right now is players are betting on the goalkeeper going down fast. For sure. Before they even hit the ball. Yeah. But then if the keeper doesn't do that, if the keeper decides this is going to be a staring contest, right? then one of you is going to break. And normally because you don't have much of a run-up and mm-hmm. so you don't have that momentum before you strike the ball, mm-hmm. your penalty is going to be saved because no. it's going to be a slow grounder. Right. Uh, we talked about Messi last week and uh, right. rather in our last podcast and we said uh, he's not a great penalty taker. We talked about Neymar as well. Uh, but I think... They are not isolated cases. I think, and that's the takeaway for me, that's the main takeaway from this round of 16. I think bad penalties are an epidemic in football right now. Mm. Uh, It used to be that in a penalty shootout, one or maybe two people would miss. Mm. But now you had Spain, three people missing, all three people missing their opening penalties. Uh, Yesterday, Japan, horrible, horrible penalties. All of them very, very savable. And so I think I, we talked about Messi and Neymar last week, but this is an epidemic. And maybe we should be talking to a Dr. Fauci to yeah. come help us sort it out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. For sure. Let's move on to England versus Senegal. Uh, Gareth Southgate starts Phil Foden and he rewards him with two assists. And Jude Bellingham puts in a man with a match performance as England cruise past Senegal 3 0, setting up a mouthwatering quarterfinal versus France. England had been crying out for Phil Foden. Mm. Uh, we talked about this in my la- in the last podcast. I was crying out for Phil Ford, and I feel a talent like him should always be on the pitch. And kudos to uh, Southgate for starting him because otherwise, apart from Phil Ford, that was a very, very conservative lineup. Uh, when I saw it and I saw he was starting both Declan Rice and Henderson, and on top of that, he was also starting Jude Beringham. I couldn't believe it. I thought, wait, is England facing Senegal or are they facing Barcelona, prime Barcelona? Mm. That's how conservative that lineup was. But he redeemed himself uh, by starting Phil Foden. And I think it paid off. I feel like Senegal, much like the U.S., was very generous. Uh, they They were let down by both their defense and their midfield. I don't think England would have gotten the goals they got against Senegal if they were playing against more experienced and more streetwise or street smart opposition. Look at the first goal. They basically let Henderson run untracked into mm. their six-yard box, the Senegalese. Mm. It was very disappointing as an African because mm. I went like, oh, where's the defensive discipline? You can't have a midfielder running untracked from the midfield into your six-yard box. The second goal was even more disappointing because it was towards halftime, 44th minute. You're hoping and praying, let's take it back into the dressing room when it's one nil. 
then we can strategize and come up with a game plan. And then at that point, Judy Benningham got the ball and they let him run through their midfield. They had two opportunities to commit tactical fouls to bring him down so that they could reorganize. They passed up both opportunities. I don't think a South American team or a more streetwise European team would have let Jude Benningham get away with that. They would have, Sergio Ramos would have, Casemiro would have put him on the deck immediately. Yeah. But the Senegalese showed their, I think, tournament inexperience in that particular moment. And now you're going into halftime, you're tinnled down, game over. Third goal as well, again, a bit like the U.S. defensive naivety because yeah. the ball comes in from the side and Bukayo Saka waited for, I think, an edge. It felt like centuries in that box and the left back was off doing God knows what. Again, there's no way you're making that mistake at this level and you're not getting punished. And I feel like the Senegalese let themselves down. I feel like they missed having a player like Sadio Mane in the team. I feel like their defense, which is being marshaled by two very experienced players, you have Mendy in goal and Koulibaly uh, in, in the heart, at the heart of that defense. I think they should have done better. Again, you say defending is very collaborative. I think they should have screamed and yelled and talked a bit more. They paid the price. And for me, it was very disappointing as an African. I guess the same way Americans were disappointed by the U.S. I feel like if you're going to go out at this stage, it's better if you go out because the other team was too brilliant as opposed to you going out because you're either indisciplined in defense or naive or otherwise through some kind of mistake. Oh, for sure. Um, obviously, Senegal missed Sadio Mane. I think the world, all the fans in the world missed such a wonderful player. Um, uh, but again, England were dominant. Uh like you, you touched on a lot of the points. Um, a thing that really stood out to me uh, was Harry Kane and um, how Harry Kane is, I think, one of the two unique strikers in the world. Uh, I think yeah, that he, being Benzema. He, yeah, correct. Yeah. He is the only other player that you could call a nine and a half who drops so deep to facilitate and influences a game so much when he's not scoring goals. The only difference between, I think, Harry Kane and Benzema is when Benzema starts to move deep and plays Vinny through, he somehow magically arrives in the uh, box yes, to also yes. finish the move as well. Where here, obviously, uh, Henderson comes in, uh, like you said, unmarked. But the awareness to say, hey, my, my number nine is at half field. Let me occupy the center channel to give Bellingham an option to cut it back. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant from Henderson in that regard. Um, I also, again, Jude Bellingham. Wow. Man, this guy is... The total package. He's, a, he's He has announced himself at the big stage, but I think if you're a player who watches European football, you rather if you're a fan, sorry, who yeah. watches European football, you're not surprised. He has been the standout player at Borussia Dortmund for, I think, the last two seasons. He's a classic box-to-box -box player. He's so strong. He's so fast. And he's so physically gifted that he can muscle his way from midfield to the attack. Um, I feel like if you're English, another great piece of news from this game is that Hurricane eventually finally got onto the score sheet. Like, he got into the score sheet and you need, England needed Hurricane somehow rediscovering his scoring boots if they were to have a chance going further into the tournament. Agreed. You can't just have Hurricane assisting and facilitating. Mm. That's not his mm. job description. His job description is put the ball in the net and I feel like that goal, because sometimes if you're a striker and you're struggling for goals, sometimes that one goal can just 
reopen the floodgates for you. Absolutely. Um, so now it's England, France in the quarterfinal. It's going to be box office. Who do you have going through? I think I have France going through, but I think this game is ironically particularly suited to Gary Southgate's conservatism. Hmm. I feel like Gary Southgate always goes negative regardless of the opposition, but I think like for once, if he decides to employ negative tactics to counter the threat of France, everyone in England will understand. Hmm. So I think this game, France will win because France, I feel, has got way too many weapons uh, to hurt England. And uh, England doesn't have the same amount of offensive weapons. I feel France has also the defensive weapons to actually neutralize England's attack. And England doesn't have the same the other side. But I feel like this game, if there's a game that was almost tailor-made for Gareth Southgate and his negativity, Gareth Southgate and his conservative tactics, I think it's this particular quarterfinal. Oh, for sure. I uh, agree. Great matchup. I do have France going through as well. Uh, but you never know what ends up happening in these games. I feel like it's going to be nervy. I think it's going to be like one of those Champions League final games where people are going to be hesitant to take chances. And I feel like it's going to take a little time. People are going to take a little time to get out of the shell. And then, you know, all it takes is one mistake. And the, everything changes. So again, going with France, but I think it's going to be a great game. It's going One to be it's going it's going to be a mouth-watering battle, a, mm. an intriguing mouth-watering battle between Kylian Mbappe and Kyle Walker because both of them are like super super pacey. Yeah, both of them are probably some of the fastest players we have playing the game today, and it's going to be an intriguing titanic battle between the two of them. Uh, let's move on to Croatia versus Japan. After beating Germany and Spain in the group stage, Japan fall to Croatia on penalties. After falling behind 1-0, an experienced Croatia side get themselves back in the match and force penalties, where they come out victorious. I, I felt bad for Japan. I feel like they have put together a run yeah. in this particular tournament that deserved maybe a bit more reward, maybe another round. Uh, because remember, they beat Spain and they beat Germany and they qualified as top of a group that had Spain and Germany in it. This was the group of death. They were not supposed to make it out of this group. They did. And then they ran into a Croatian side that is experienced at this level. They've been there, done that. They have so many old war horses, Modric, Brozovic. These players have been there, done that. And you could see it when they went one nil down. They didn't panic. Even Perisic, they knew that they could bounce back. And remember the last World Cup, Croatia kept advancing simply by winning their penalty shootouts. Right. Now, they lost one of their best penalty takers back then, um, the former Barcelona midfielder. Rakitic. Ivan, Ivan, yeah, Ivan Rakitic. He was always their last penalty taker, their best penalty taker. They lost him from that World Cup, but they're still as experienced and they still know what it takes. And guess what? Now they have a goalkeeper who stops penalties for fun. I felt yeah. like the Japanese penalties were all terrible. Again, the thing you've said, they try to hope and pray that the keeper goes the wrong way. You should pick your spot and you should put the ball in the spot regardless of where the keeper goes. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend of mine and I was asking him, why don't players try to put the ball in the roof? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, because there's always the, the risk. risk that you might actually sky it and it goes over the crossbar. And I was of the opinion that I would rather my penalty goes over the crossbar than it be saved by the goalkeeper. 
Because when you try to go high, the, a keeper has no chance of saving right. your penalty because no keeper dives going up. And I remember one of my favorite players, one of my favorite strikers and favorite penalty takers, Alan Shirai, always used to go high. And yeah. he never missed a penalty, I think, his entire career. Or maybe he missed one or two. But he had a consistent record of always, always putting the ball in the net. And when you look at the Japanese penalties, all of them were on the ground. All of them easily, easily saved. Right. And I, I, it was heartbreaking because I feel like Japan deserved a lot more not because not solely because they played such great football but also because they have the best fans at any world cup i i agree i think that the other thing that i don't know what it is it's always a pressure the most of you know one of the most pressure you can feel as a professional athlete in any sport it seems like it's easy but it's it's all mental taking a penalty i don't know it's, what it's, it is, it's, it's simple yeah. it's, a, it's a simple yeah. psychological battle between right. you and yeah. the goalkeeper yeah. and the goalkeeper is under absolutely no pressure Right. Because the goalkeeper can concede all five and everyone right. will understand. Right. So the pressure is always on the kicker mm. and the goalie just needs to save one or two. Right. And then they become the hero. Yeah. And so I have this thing where I look at the face of the taker as they're lining up and I, I predict if they're going to make it or miss it. And I'm right more than I'm wrong. You see a guy like Cristiano Ronaldo take a deep breath and you're like, this guy is automatic. And he is. And then you see, like, you see the look on some of these. And again, some of these guys are kids. I mean, they're like 20 years old, 22 years old. Like, It's a huge weight, responsibility. With a weight it's of a, a country huge, on Yeah, them. it's a huge, huge responsibility. England in the Euros, prime example. Uh, you know, and you can just say, like, the I would rather have a person, my, my least skilled players take the penalties who want to take the penalty than my that are confident than my more skilled players who are afraid of the moment. Some people would say uh, the players are not chosen at random. You know, they right. practice the penalties right. and going by the results at the training ground, then the court decides who his prime penalty takers will be. But George, as we always said, I think we've talked about this before in the hallways of the Daily Show. It's very, very hard to simulate the pressure and atmosphere in a live game when you're on the training ground. Because right. you're not when you're on the training ground, you don't have fans booing and chanting. You don't have that lonely walk, that lonely, very, very lonely walk uh, from the center line all the way to the box. So the conditions, the lab conditions at the training ground are far, far removed from the real life conditions on the pitch. So even when the coaches go like, okay, this is the player who converted the most penalties when we practiced our penalty kicks on the training ground. Uh, it, 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 it feels like the penalty kicks on the training ground are in a more controlled environment and so are not a reflection of the pressure you're going to be under, the pressure cooker that's actually taking a penalty in a real game. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Prudential knows that no community is a monolith. And we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions 
that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Let's move on to see who Croatia will face in the quarterfinal matchup. Brazil put on a show and they dominate South Korea 4-1, to one, setting up uh, the quarterfinal match of Croatia. Can Brazil be stopped? I feel, I've, I've, I have to begin by saying I feel bad for, uh, for South Korea. I feel like they had the misfortune, the terrible, terrible misfortune of running into this Brazilian team. No one wanted to run into this Brazilian team so early. If South Korea had somehow avoided Brazil, they probably might have made it into the next round because then they would have been facing Switzerland. That's mm. a far better prospect than facing Brazil. I think Brazil is a hard team to stop. I think we've talked about Brazil being the favorites in the last podcast and i think i'll reiterate the same message in this podcast brazil are without a doubt everyone's favorites it's such a solid team at the back and yet they are also very devastating on the wings and they have the creativity of neymar in the middle of the park and then they have richardson who is converting and he converts at a far more efficient rate for his national team than he does for his club so i think they're very unstoppable and of course if you manage to go past casemiro and you manage to go somehow past tiago silva in defense and marquinos then you have to deal with the wall that's alison and brazil has such strength in depth that even their second best goalkeeper their second their second option as a goalkeeper could be starting for most of the other teams in the tournament. Yeah. So without a doubt, Brazil, and you can see that they're they are in their groove now. They're having fun. They're dancing. So I've heard some people say it's disrespectful, but I don't think it is because I think when you score a goal, then you've earned the right to celebrate any way you want. If people don't want to celebrate, then they should be stopping you from scoring the goal. And I also feel like maybe there's a bit of a cultural misunderstanding. Some mm-hmm. people see Brazilian players dancing and they think it's disrespectful, especially like... I think pandits from the West, but Brazilians, that's who they are. You know, they dance, they jiggle, they, they have fun. You know, they always, they call them the Samba boys because that's who they are. For them, soccer is not so much a game as it is a lifestyle. You know, we talk about yoga bonito. They're having fun and that's a very, very dangerous Brazil. Every time you see Brazil having this kind of fun, that means a mean business. The last time I saw Brazil having this kind of fun was in 2002 when they had the famous three R's, you know, Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho. And you remember, they were dancing and they ended up winning the tournament. So for me, I think they're the team to beat. And I think good luck to Croatia trying to stop this team. But of course, Croatia, as I said, you know, Croatia experienced, they've been there, done that. They might just have the tools or the tournament know-how to pose a threat or to pose at least a big enough roadblock for Brazil. But this Brazilian team, man, I yeah. see them going all the way. And 
remember, I'm a guy who wants Messi to win it, but Messi needs to go past this Brazilian team somehow. My one last question about this game is, other than Brazilian manager Tite, who had the best goal dance celebration? Who had, you already see, the thing about Tite dancing with his players, and again, I'm, I'm yeah. going to harp on about how much fun the Brazilians are having. Yeah. You rarely see coaches do that. So the players will go dance and all that, and then the coach will remain extremely professional yeah. and very buttoned up and we go like, oh no, the the, the, the 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 job is not yet done. We can't be yeah. having fun yet. But you could see when they ran to him yeah. that even he is going like, yes, I'm bought into this. I feel like we're here to have fun. So which right. means the pressure is off both tactically and on the pitch. And that makes, you don't want to face an opponent because at this, at this level in the World Cup, the nerves are always jangling. Mm. At this level in the World Cup, every match becomes a pressure cooker. So if you see your opponent having fun and enjoying themselves, right. then you just know you're in trouble. I felt, I like, I, I, I like, frankly, I liked uh, uh, Lucas Paqueta's dance. Yeah, you know, it was good to was see, good. Yeah, yeah, it was good to see a white boy with rhythm. He's Brazilian. <laughs> He's right. white, but also you have to remember his yeah. Brazilian. So it was fun yeah. to see him yeah. having some rhythm. I think we can both agree that we have uh, Brazil going through as our picks for the, uh, for the quarterfinal, yeah? Yes, I think it's going to be a Brazil-Argentina semifinal, which is a repeat of the Copa America. And that is going to be extremely exciting for every football fan, not just in South America, but all over the world. Moving on to Spain versus Morocco. An organized Moroccan side holds Spain to a nil-nil draw. It goes to penalties where Spain failed to convert a single penalty. Morocco are through the quarterfinals. Disappointing for Luis Enrique, disappointing for Spain. They thought they could, they hoped they would make a deeper run. But they ran into the informed team for me of the tournament besides Brazil. Morocco have just considered one goal, are unbeaten in this particular World Cup, topped their group, which no one expected them to do. And they've been on a run ever since uh, this new coach came on, um, Walid Regragui. Uh, he replaced Vahid Varholzik, who had had a falling out with most of the squad. He had had a falling out with Karim Ziyech. The first thing the new coach did was integrate Ziyech, his most creative player, into the team. And I think you could see how much it's paying off. The first thing I love about Morocco is they're a proper tournament team. When you come into a tournament, and Americans always say this, but it holds true in soccer especially. When you talk to American football fans, they will tell you, Offenses win you games, but defenses win you championships. And Morocco has perhaps the tightest defense in the entire tournament. They don't give away goals. They don't give away chances cheaply. You have to work for almost every inroad you make in this team. And they are protected by, for me, one of the most underrated players in this particular tournament. And that's uh, Amrabat, Sofian Amrabat. He's been a machine in that midfield. He covers loads of ground. He covers almost every blade of grass every time he plays. And then they have the outlet, you know, in in Karim Z, in in uh, in ZH in El Nesri. They have enough in Bo, uh, so, so, uh, in Bofal. They have enough players who can also help them release the pressure when the ball is kicked upfield. But for me, I think the key to their success and the key that's going to be and what's going to remain key to their success going forward is their defense. So long as you're playing a tournament and you don't concede, you always have the chance. Whether it goes into penalties, 
or not, you always have a chance you can sneak a goal or maybe your rival, your opponent, your opponent will make a mistake. So long as you keep it tight at the back, you always have a shot. And I feel like Morocco at least understood the assignment when it comes to that. That's right. You got to keep it tight in a tournament like Greece 2004 Euros. Exactly. Um, one yeah. almost every game, one <laughs> nil all the way to the final. And they yeah. won the final as well, one nil. Yeah. That was a proper tournament team. And I feel like almost Morocco is replicating that kind of form. Absolutely. And uh, I'd like to say, uh, for the record, it is on tape. I did predict this outcome. You did call it. You did call uh, it. Uh, and, bef- and before I get into Spain, I uh, just want to say Morocco were absolutely fantastic. They ep- executed the game plan to perfection. Stay compact. Let stay- Spain have the ball. Uh, Spain had 77% of the ball to their 23%. They were passing it sideways and backward, rarely looked a threat. And they took to the game the penalties and they won the game. By the way, their coach took over just last August. So he's been with the team barely three, four months. But you can't see that they buy into his philosophy. You can't see the impact has had on the team. And he's a former defender, so he understands how important defense is when you're playing tournament football. Um, he hasn't lost the game. That's the most impressive thing because he came on, played a bunch of friendlies, but he hasn't lost a game, even through the friendlies. So this run that he has, some people will say, oh, this is a fairy tale Cinderella run. No, this is something that he has had in place ever since he took over. And it's going to be very, very interesting to watch Portugal try to break down this Moroccan team. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I totally agree with that. We'll get that into that into the into the quarterfinal in a sec. I just want to say a final thought on Spain. I think they're they're too rigid with their philosophy. You know, the the blueprint to beat a tiki tiki taka side is pretty well documented, and they don't have the extra difference maker playing that style to make it work. They don't have a Messi, yes. a, a Ronaldinho, uh, you know, someone who in you know you know or in, for that matter. Javi and Iniesta, you know, those types of players to kind of really execute it. So it's real easy for teams to sit back, wait for the chances, hit them on the break, or in a tournament, you know, play to penalties and win the game. And I think that they need to replace Luis Enrique with uh, a new manager who's uh, willing to play a more, keep the tiki-taka elements of having the ball, but also in moments, be prepared to be more direct when the situations offer themselves. I feel like that's uh, Luis Enrique's gift and class. He's so stubborn yeah and when he's wedded to a style he's wedded to the style he won't uh, switch it up just because maybe things are not going well um in this game i feel like there was lots of toothless possession-based tick attacker just for the sake of possession at some point you can you you can pass the ball pass the ball but at some point you need that forward thrust you need to stab you can't just pass the ball because then what the defense does is it just keeps its shape and keeps its structure and they know you will never be able to go past them. So Spain, too much possession, but not enough of that killer instinct to actually make it count. The final thing I'll say about uh, Spain before we move on is that uh, obviously uh, some of the older players like Busquets and maybe Jordi Alba, obviously... This was the last World Cup, yeah. This is probably the last World Cup. And even though I love the phenomenal talents of Pedri and Gavi... Uh, they sometimes struggle to compete with like bigger, stronger opponents, guys like Bellingham, Valverde, uh, Tuameni, uh, kind of more of the modern prototype of a, a modern day midfielder. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward how they can 
combine with some of these young talents and maybe try to adapt to kind of a more physical modern game because uh, obviously the talent at Spain is there. I think I think Spain is facing the same issue going into 2026 that the US is facing. They need to find a striker and as you say the way they play the way the game in Spain is evolving it almost feels like clubs no longer need strikers because they play false nines and half nines and they try to cram as many midfielders in every squad as they can and so you can't see that they're being left behind spain used to produce some of the best strikers in the world but you can't see because of the evolution of football philosophy in spain and that was started by pep god uh, that you know it was started of course by johan cruyff and then pep, pep Guardiola moved it and modernized it to the next level you can't tell by that evolution that Spain is paying the price because Spain doesn't have a striker at the same level as Hurricane. Spain doesn't have a striker who you can count on to come and make a difference because the league has evolved to become this midfielder heavy league that almost always makes strikers feel like second class citizens. Um, yeah, for sure. So here we go. We got uh, one more matchup in the round of 16 in Portugal. Start Gonzalo Ramos in the place of Cristiano Ronaldo, who scores a hat trick, and Portugal dominates Switzerland six to one and coasts into the quarterfinals. Did Gonzalo Ramos' brilliant performance earn him a starting nod in the quarter quarterfinals? Without a doubt, it was a gutsy, gutsy, bold call, almost risky call from the Portuguese manager. You don't ever bench your best player in such a critical game, but I think uh, Ronaldo despite everything he has done, brilliant career, one of the best players I've ever played the game. He had a stinker against South Korea in the last game, and I feel like that gave the coach enough justification to put him on the bench. Because I always felt like, for all his gifts, he was holding uh, Portugal back. Because Portugal is a very dynamic, fluid team, very cohesive unit, but when Ronaldo is playing, almost every, he's, he's, like, he's like a black hole because almost every play has to be channeled through him. He's that big of a character. He's that big of an influence that all the players keep looking for him. It's almost the same problem that sometimes Barcelona used to have with Messi or that Argentina has with Messi now. You try to channel every attacking play through your best player. And so when they took him off, again, gutsy call. I didn't think that Santos had it in him to make that call, but when it paid off, it took 17 minutes for it to pay off. Brilliant, brilliant goal. He had no angle, Gonzalo Ramos, yeah. but he somehow found a way past the goalkeeper and then he later went on to score a hat-trick. Also, by the way, had an assist. Yeah. For me, probably the most complete performance by any player this World Cup. And I felt for the, for the Swiss and maybe, maybe they got bamboozled by the fact that Ronaldo didn't play because remember, all throughout the last four days, they have spent every training session preparing and strategizing for a Portugal team that had Ronaldo in it. Now, imagine their shock when they turned up and, he's not and there. there was this player no one had, no one had ever heard of. Because right. remember, Gonzalo Ramos actually, had, this was just his fourth cup. He's the least experienced player in the Portuguese team. So when they were, if they were going to bench Ronaldo, you expected maybe Andre Silva to come on. But... Santos trumped and went for uh, the, the least experienced player. It paid off. But I think, I feel like Switzerland were bamboozled because the moment they crossed that white line, then the entire game plan went out of the window because the player they had been preparing for wasn't on the pitch. And then the player who was taking his place was a player no one knew anything about. 
So if you're a defender in that, in that instance, you're going like, wow, no one told me about this guy in the strategy meeting. You're yeah. all of a sudden trying to go through your phone to find out what's this guy's strength. Is he left-footed or right-footed? Is he good in the air or not? What's like... So it's, it almost like throws your entire game off. And I feel like Switzerland paid the price because they had organized and strategized for a different game than they ended up playing. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think Portugal looked really good, both with the ball and in transition. Um, like you said, very complete performance. Uh, it makes you think that they could go toe-to-toe with a Brazil or a France if they were to meet further in the tournament. Um, uh, really, really impressive stuff. I think Spain should take notes about how to play a more modern brand of football. It's a sad way to see Ronaldo go because you, yeah. you would have wanted him to have... Uh, a primary role to play a bigger, more prominent role yeah. at his World Cup. In fairness, he has carried this team all through the other World Cup, so maybe he's due a rest. Uh, but when I was watching the game and with every goal that Gonzalo Ramos scored, you could see the chances of Ronaldo actually making it back into the starting 11 dwindle with each goal. Like the last goal, that was a goal yeah. scored yeah. by a player brimming with confidence. Mm. In the World Cup for a hat trick, yeah. and he just dinked it over the goalkeeper. So yeah. for me, I feel like Portugal, prior to this, were facing the same problem that Manchester United has been dealing with. How do you build your team around a player whose age, which by the way is no fault of his, because Father Time comes for us all, but a player whose age makes him a liability when you don't have the ball. Because Ronaldo can't track back the way say Gonzalo Ramos can. Ronaldo doesn't give you anything. He can't press the defenders because he has to conserve his energy. And he doesn't give you, because Messi doesn't do that all that, but Messi gives you something off the ball or when he has the ball, right. Messi can create for other players. Ronaldo only contributes when he is scoring. And this World Cup, he has only scored one goal. It was off a dubious penalty against Ghana in the opening game. He has gone missing on, in all the other games. So, if a player is not contributing through the only avenue he can contribute, then he has to go on the bench, sorry. And then when you bring in a youngster like Gonzalo Ramos and he scores with the kind of ease that he did, yet he can also give you other things when he doesn't have the ball, when he's not scoring, he can defend, he can press, he can track back, then it becomes very hard uh, for a player like Ronaldo to stay in the team. I think Eric Ten Hag did the same when he brought in Marshall and preferred Rashford and preferred even Elanga for Ronaldo. It was because of that. Elanga will defend, Rashford will track back. And Ronaldo, through no fault of his, through no fault of his, his, you know, it's the age. Father, father time comes for our soul. And it's sad to see a player of such greatness also succumbing to father time. Because sometimes you, you watch players like Ronaldo and Messi and you think, oh, they'll go on forever. But then this is the reminder that, yes, at the end of the day, father time, there's no way running. There's no running from him, however fast you are on the pitch. Uh, absolutely. As a, as a Real Madrid fan, Cristiano Ronaldo has brought uh, me a lot, so of joy, joy. A, a lot of joy in my life and I appreciate all of that. But it's time to, for, uh, for Gonzalo Ramos to uh, take a more featured role. Um, so this leads us to a prediction. A, 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 a stout Morocco team, a, an organized Morocco team meet a, a really good-looking Portugal squad in a quarterfinal. Who do you have going through I have Portugal simply because they have the kind of tournament experience at this level 
that Morocco can only dream about. Uh, when you look at a player like Pepe, who <laughs> was drafted in because Danilo broke his ribs. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be starting this game, but he not only start the game, but yeah. he was a rock in defense and then scored a towering header yeah. to put Portugal to nil up. A player like him has played in way more World Cups than Morocco, any of the Moroccan players has ever been in. And I feel like that's going to be critical. He plays alongside Ruben Diaz, who plays big games week in, week out for Man City. Uh, and so I would give it to Portugal. Portugal were way too cohesive a unit today. They were so dynamic and so thrilling as a unit that it would be almost foolhardy to actually prefer Morocco to them. But as I said, Morocco doesn't concede. They don't score as well, but they don't concede. And you know what they're going to be doing? If they take it into halftime at nil-nil, then Portugal will be facing the kinds of questions they didn't face against Switzerland. For sure. For sure. I have, I have Portugal going through as well, though. I do think that uh, Morocco has the ability to make it interesting. Um, a few more questions before we go. Um, uh, Joe, who do you think your best player of the tournament has been to this to this day? The best player of the tournament, I think, Kylian Mbappé. Uh, without a doubt, I'm a messy fan, but Kian Mbappe is having way too much fun. He's scoring goals for fun and he's scoring brilliant goals. He also plays in a really good French team, so maybe that takes a bit away from him. Uh, Olivier Giroud has also been contributing, but Mbappe has been unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, he has produced the way everyone expected him to produce. Uh, so, without a doubt, I would go for him. Messi, a close, close second. And I say close second because... Messi deals with the kind of attention from the opposition that Mbappe doesn't receive. So Messi, every time he receives the ball, he's swarmed by a battalion of opponents. Mbappe gets the ball. First of all, he plays on the wing, so he's always isolated against his wing back, which makes it easy. If Messi was always facing one-on-one, -on -one, I think it would cause a lot more damage. But Messi always has like six, five players always rushing towards him every time he gets the ball. So Mbappe for me, but Messi a very, very, very close second. So are we both sticking by our predictions that it's 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 looking like a Brazil and France final, and that's uh, what we're all looking forward to? Um, my heart, as I said, sees a an Argentina France final, but going by the results from the last round, I think Brazil are going to go past Croatia, which means they will face Argentina in the semis and i think they all have way too much uh, for that argentina team i feel like brazil has the solidity to actually neutralize messi the entire game and then they have the weapons to hurt that argentine backline it needless to say it will be an exciting uh round in the quarterfinals there's so much to look forward to joe it's been a great breaking down the round of 16 with you always a pleasure my friend always a pleasure this has been the daily show recap of the world cup i'm george guntas and i'm joe Pio. see you next time for more on the world cup listen to joe's full conversation with grant wall at dailyshow.com slash beyond watch the daily show weeknights at 11 10 central on comedy central and stream full episodes anytime on paramount plus this has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 